0: The Tech Canada Leadership Standard, hosted by Tech Speaker of the Year and branding expert, Gare Maxwell. Real life stories from leaders spanning the business spectrum. Now more than ever, leaders are shifting through significant decisions under accelerated timeframes with less information and bigger consequences for their companies, for their people, and for the communities that they live in. You're about to learn of the triumphs, failures, struggles and disruptions through the first hand account of an industry leader. Join us now for The Leadership Standard. Our guest today is an award-winning sales influencer, keynote speaker, LinkedIn top voice, and part of the National Association of Women Sales Professionals and the founder of the Barnes Sales Institute. She has spent the last two decades studying The innate strengths of women in professional sales and what it takes to help them reach the top one percent she's the creator of thrive success and just listen to some of the credentials we're talking about working with companies like toyota michelin google and many others she is the host of the podcast unstoppable she's a guest of ours here Please welcome Cynthia Barnes to the Leadership Standard. Hello, Cynthia.
1: Wonderful, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Especially since we just discovered we used to be neighbors, kind of, sort of, in old kind lines. Kind of,
1: sorta, of, yeah. Small world, small, so you, small world.
0: And that's, maybe that's a great place to start as uh, is your roots are in, what was it? Uh, Maine, but where in Maine
1: exactly? Limestone, Maine. There was a- Lime, airport, Lime, Yep.
0: So Limestone, Maine, when I hear that song from Roger Miller, King of the Road,
1: Destination Bangor, Maine, how far is Limestone from Bangor? I'm guessing it's around two hours. I was an Air Force brat, so I was born at Loring Air Force Base in Limestone, and then we moved uh, when I was two to Indiana, and 20 cities later, here I am in Raleigh, North Carolina. So
0: moving around and making adjustments is is really nothing new for you but where we before we get into that we we discovered this link because I'm a New Brunswick native and your family actually is uh, of, of, to a large degree from the St. John area.
1: Yes, yes, there everyone on my mom's side is in St. John.
0: Isn't that something? The port city of New Brunswick, Surf City all the way now and you're in Raleigh, North Carolina and really advancing the cause of women in terms of the sales profession. And I guess that's a, a great place for us to start because your adaptability, your flexibility in terms of moving around as a, as, as a kid, how much has that helped your career and also helped guide others?
1: Wow. Um, moving around as a child and also as an adult, it allows me, and I think it allows those who, who, who do to not get stuck and not get complacent. We always know that there's a better opportunity available and we're always preparing ourselves to be prepared for that better opportunity. You know, the old saying that says, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity than to have one come and you not be prepared. So moving around and as an adult, I knew that if I performed well and I stayed in the top 1%, opportunities would come to me like fireflies to a fire. <laughs> and,
0: and I can't help but think that since the pandemic of March, 2020, the need for sales professionals, uh, regardless of gender, uh, is, it's imperative now. It's, a, it's an absolute must uh, because of how fast this world is changing. What are you seeing from your vantage point?
1: You know, there are those out there that say the salespeople will be extinct, that the buyer will get all of their information from Google and be able to make an educated decision. And I disagree If you were to take your greatest challenge, and I don't know what that is, let's say that you wanted to become fitter, and you went on Google and you put in how do I get fit, you would get 25 million pages of experts, so-called experts, giving you advice on how to get fit. But if someone were to come to you and say, with your body chemistry, your habits, your makeup, your goals, and all of those things, I can customize a plan for you that will work. You would pay five figures for that. Why? Because it's customized. It's tailored to you. So as sales professionals, yes, 70 to 80% of that buyer's journey is done on Google. No problem. But what our buyers are actually paying us for, and why we are so essential, is to help them solve the problems that they can't get on Google. That the answers that they can't get on Google.
0: Now, part of your role and what you're doing uh, in terms of advancing the cause for women is—is is I've I've seen some of your material online, but in a nutshell, can you describe the very specific challenges that? women are facing as sales professionals that men never run into or even are maybe even aware of
1: i'll give you a prime example um in 2017 we were contacted by the wall street journal and they wanted to do a story and they asked us to poll our members and at the time we had 12,000 members have you ever been sexually harassed at the hands of a prospect or a customer that is something that the majority of men don't even have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But as a woman in sales, if your prospect or customer is a bad actor, you have two options. Number one, you can go to your boss and say, Hey, this actor, this bad actor is, is giving me problems. Or you can do like the majority of our members do and say, I understand what I'm I understand what I'm doing and I understood the role. And the the detriments of of the role. So when a woman goes to her boss and says, hey, I'm having trouble with this prospect, the boss is either going to say, let me take care of it, or he's going to say, what would you like me to do? And for women in sales who have a mortgage, who have kids, who have financial responsibilities, the risk of having that account taken away from her because her boss thinks that she can't handle herself or he wants to, or she wants to prevent Mm. them from being in that bad situation. That's unacceptable. We've got bills to pay. So a lot of women in sales will say, you know what, I just take it on the chin and I deal with it.
0: And at the risk of losing the customer should some sort of, shall we say, situation arise that, uh, wow, Cynthia, just so we're absolutely clear, how should um, someone in authority respond to these situations? I just want everything on the table on, on that note.
1: It's hard for a person in leadership, whether they're male or female to respond in the right way. If they don't have policies, company policies that support their actions, a lot of managers don't know what to do Mm. unbeknownst to them. They just haven't had the training and no one from HR has said, Hey, this is how you respond in this situation. So we've got to take a look at the policies of the company nine times out of 10, policies in the company protect against internal customers, your peers, from sexually harassing you. That being said, there are very few companies, and I haven't found any, that actually have policies that protect against external customers and prospects. So the first thing to do is to have a policy that says, hey, sales representative, we are going to protect you against these bad actors. The second thing we want to do is to make sure that managers and leaders have the training, have the skills, have the sound bites to be able to say, here's how we take care and support our sales professionals, both men and women, because both can be sexually harassed at the hands of an external customer. So
0: the issue that Cynthia and I just explored is is really the issue, I think, Cynthia, of unwanted attention. And it seems that what you've illustrated very candidly is that, yeah, we can have policies internally, but what happens when things happen outside? And, and I guess that'd be an interesting question to ask as well. What, from your view, even though there's not, let's say, a lot of companies prepared to deal with this, uh, what, in your view, uh, should be happening?
1: What I'd love to see is that woman or man's leader, get on the phone with the leader of the opposing company. And I would love for them to have a candid conversation and say, you've got a bad actor in your organization. We as a company do not want to do business with your company if this is going to be the way that you handle it. I'd love to see leadership put their Money where their mouth is and be able and be willing to walk away from an opportunity to support their sales professionals. That's what I'd like to see.
0: Yeah, draw some sort of line in the sand and say there's no going back. On that note, I mean, let's face it, we love to explore the subject of leadership. We're now into the third year of the leadership standard. Our podcast is rapidly growing in terms of audience. And we have a standard question that we ask of of all of our guests. Uh, Cynthia, here it is. How do you define leadership?
1: I define leadership as creating other leaders. You can lead an organization, but unless you reach back and enable others, train others, teach others to do what you do and to be better than who you are, then how can you call yourself a leader? Leaders create other leaders.
0: And and on that note, you as a sales professional are helping to create other sales professionals. I'd be curious, where did your philosophy on sales originate? Who were your early mentors, your early, early guiding lights, so to speak?
1: When I first started in sales, um, I did not have any formal training. I was at an organization who kind of said, you know, sink or swim. So I taught myself sales by listening to audiobooks, and they were on audio cassette. I'm dating myself. So on the way to work, I had a 45-minute drive. So I would listen to side A and then I would implement what I learned at work. And then at home, I would listen to side B on the way home. So my first book that I ever picked up and listened to was by Brian Tracy, and it was The Psychology of Selling. And it is, it's perfect. It, it is the best book to understand the psychographics and the psychology of why people buy. It also, in training, getting the training from those audiobooks and books and conferences, what I soon realized was that traditional sales approaches were created by men for men at a time when men made up the entire sales force. So while there's nothing wrong with those, and let me be clear, I got to the top 1% using them. When I formed my company and organization in 2016, I wanted to know In a world where those traditional sales approaches were created by men, how much faster could women reach the top 1% if we had sales approaches that address the unique challenges we face while amplifying the innate strengths that we have? So that training was instrumental in who I am today and the organization that I've created.
0: I know in many respects, if there's a defining word for you, Cynthia, it's unstoppable. Can you think of a time? Uh, I would love to hear you describe a specific situation in sales where you were stopped, but then you found a way to overcome and, and, and navigate through.
1: Yes. My first job in pharmaceutical sales, I went to a doctor and I had been through six weeks of training and I was full of bravado, if you will. And I went into his office and I said, Dr. So-and-so, I have the perfect drug for your patients and here's why and blah, blah, blah. And I went through my whole spiel and he looked at me deadpan and he said, how many weeks did you study this drug? And I had my chest stuck out with pride. And I said, six weeks. And he said, do you know how long it took me to get to where I am? And I said, no, I don't. He said a minimum of 12 years of education plus my experience. He said, do you really think that you can come in here with your six weeks of training on one drug and begin to tell me what's best for my patient population? I was floored. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. But I also knew that he had a point. So I went home and I dusted myself off and I said, if he has a point, how can I change my approach to take into consideration what he needs to confidently write scripts for my drug. So I studied, I studied him, I studied his patient population, I studied what the drug meant for him and it boiled down to what does he need to be the best doctor that he can be? So I went back and I focused on his needs and how he could present my drug to the right patient population It goes back to that saying, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. When you take the focus off of yourself and you put it onto your prospects and customers and help them save the day, then everybody wins. So that situation almost stopped me. I almost quit my job. But I had to reframe my mindset and say, what's the bigger lesson? What is the purpose in the pain?
0: It sounds like a lesson that has paid many dividends many times over. It also sounds metaphorically like that to be in the top 1% and how true, I I guess I'm asking kind of rhetorically, but how true is it that you almost have to be as a top notch sales professional, part-time detective and investigative reporter?
1: Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Seek first to understand, then be understood as Stephen Covey says, right?
0: And, and so how did that incident with that particular doctor, do you feel, really shape your career and shape your path?
1: It brought out my empathy. It made me question the needs and the motives of my prospect rather than me trying to get across my point of how great my product or service was. They really don't care about my product or service. They really don't. They want to know, how is it that you are going to make my life easier? And when Bo- you focus on that, then then it's good. B- bottom line right there. How
0: how are you going to make my life better, my work easier, get more off my plate, yes. uh, help me achieve results? Um, we're going to go to Steven because we are live. And uh, I know we've been getting some activities, some questions from out there in the LinkedIn verse, the Twitter verse, whatever the verse is we're okay. in, Steven. But uh, what do we have for Cynthia so far?
2: Yeah, this is actually from a recent LinkedIn poll that Tech Canada did. And 51% of CEOs that voted in the poll said that hiring and retaining talent is their biggest challenge right now when it comes Mm -hmm. to current business performance. So what advice would you have for CEOs or leaders of an organization when it comes to hiring and retaining talent uh, with respect to their sales teams with 2022? How do you build that effective team that stays with you and grows with you?
1: Yes. So the bridge between recruit and retain is development. You've got to develop your workforce so that they will stick and stay. When you don't develop them, you're telling them, I don't care about your performance other than whether or not you hit your numbers. But what if you were to say, Here is a how, here's a pathway forward with our company. Here's how you become whatever you want to become, whether it's top of the leaderboard, whether it's sales manager of the year. What if we offered training that addressed the unique challenges that subset groups face and develop them to become their best selves, whatever that looks like. The key to go from recruiting to retaining is development.
0: What's that line I heard? You just reminded me something, Cynthia. And here's, I mean, this is us doing this live. So what was it? What what happens if I train my people? And invest the, what's that line? If I invest a lot of training in in my people and they leave, but the counter is what you're saying is, well, what if I don't invest in my people and they stay?
1: Exactly, exactly. Why would you want a workforce that is complacent, that's not striving to be their absolute best, that's not growing? When you invest in your people, they bring all of that knowledge, skill, and ability back to your company and the company grows. Mm -hmm you've got to invest in your people or else they're going to go someplace where they can grow.
0: And how much of the upper hand do employees have now? We've noticed a sharp shift ourselves in terms of, we call it the second war for talent uh, since March of 2020 uh, that puts the employee in the driver's seat that they're doing the online interviews online even before they apply for the job. But what are you seeing uh, from your perspective?
1: I think there's a huge opportunity for employers to ask and to find out what employees want. There's an old model that is still in play that, that quite frankly, is antiquated, where the company says, this is what we offer. This is how much we're paying. Here are our benefits. Come join us. What if we were to actually change the mindset and ask, our target audience, our target pool of candidates, what do you want? What do you need from us to thrive? Then create initiatives around that. It's like marketing. If you approach recruiting, like you do marketing, create an avatar, create your ideal candidate. What are their psychographics? What are the demographics? What do they need? What do they want? And what will they what will they enjoy doing with your company? Then craft your offering around that. It's like Simon Sinek says, start with why.
0: That's interesting that you're, uh, you bring that up because we, we're seeing that trend more and more, Cynthia, where companies and organizations that have a clear sense of their purpose, their overall why... Uh, do a lot better at that uh, recruitment and uh, retention piece. Let's let's get into some of the real nitty gritty of sales. Okay. Uh, because we know we have salespeople watching sales professionals, men and women. Cynthia, as a manager, and I'm really speaking to people in management or supervisory roles or what have you, how is it different coaching men who are sales professionals as opposed to women who are sales professionals?
1: That's that's an excellent question, and there are so many differences. Um, that We were prompted to write a guide about it. The first thing that managers have to realize is that men and women sell differently. Women focus on empathy and relationships, whereas men and their counterparts focus on different things. So when a woman sells differently, please don't tell her you're doing it wrong just because it's different always remember that different doesn't mean wrong. Number two, provide her with the training, the support, the, um, the whatever she needs to thrive. Because remember, she is experiencing unique challenges that sh- her male counterparts are not. And if you don't know what those unique challenges are, simply ask her, what do you need to show up as your best self? Do you need more training? Do you need more opportunities? What have you. Number three, make sure that your policies reflect the fact that you support her in her decisions. We focused on, a little bit on the, the sexual harassment, but those are not the only policies. And lastly, your culture. And I like to refer to this as the CTP your culture, your training, and your policies. Create a culture where you would have your daughter, your niece, your granddaughter, where they could thrive. If you look at your organization and your sales team and your loved one could not thrive on your team, ask yourself why, then get to work. Uh, How
0: about cold calling? Uh, What is your best advice right now Uh, for cold calling, especially since the pandemic, when you can't get out to actually see people in person. Cynthia, what have you found actually uh, work?
1: Make it personal. Take the extra time to personalize your message. No one wants to hear a canned message that may or may not apply to them. Make it useful and make it very brief. So Erin King wrote a book and she describes the pub method, which I just mentioned, personal, useful, and brief. You can use it in your emails. You can use it in your LinkedIn messaging, but most of all, use it in your cold calling. You've got to start with the personal. If you're calling on me and you give me a canned message, I'm going to tune you out. But if you were to say something around what I've accomplished or who I am or my latest LinkedIn post, then it tells me that you took the time that you care and that we're about to have a conversation, not a sales pitch.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's ask about uh, from a sales management point of view. So think of all those sales managers who uh, might be watching or listening and they've got a team and some people on that team are, are struggling. They're, they're behind in their targets. What's your best advice for getting someone
1: back on track? Find out what their motives are. Again, it's the personal. You've got to tap into what does your team want? What do they need? So if you think about the three pillars, who do you want them to be? What do you want them to know? And what do you want them to do? And then you ask pointed questions, just like in a sales conversation, what do you need to be your best self to achieve your numbers? And how do, how's the best way for you to learn how to do that?
0: You worked through uh, many different jobs as a sales professional, but one day it dawned on you that you could teach other people to follow a similar path. Tell us about that day and that moment Cynthia, that moment that told you, hey, I can actually do this.
1: Well, I wasn't quite sure that I could, but I knew that I wanted to. And I knew that I had been in the top 1% in a multitude of verticals. So one day I was on Facebook, the ultimate philosopher, because, you know, they always have thought provoking memes. And one of those messages said, and I'll par- paraphrase it said, the true measure of whether or not you are a success in life isn't based on how well you do, it's actually measured by how many others you help do well. So I thought in a world where I was successful, and I was able to influence decision makers to say yes, at the end of my days, my legacy, what did I want to leave? And that was how many other women did I help reach the top 1%. So that's why I started NAWSP. And, and
0: what has that organization taught you? Uh, because I'm sure you're connecting with women all over the continent, probably different parts of the world. And and what are some of the commonalities and lessons that you're picking up?
1: We thrive when we are together. We're better together. In a world where society tries to pit us against each other, Mm -hmm. those of us who can band together toward a common goal, we actually win. That when one of us wins, we all win and that we're more alike than we are different. We all have that human need for connectedness, especially during this COVID era. We want to be connected, we want to be seen, and we want to be heard.
0: Well, in in the spirit of being heard, let's go back out to Calgary, head office with Tech Canada, Stephen Christofferson, who's been monitoring all the different chats. He's it's almost think of metaphorically, Cynthia, it's like he's at mission control in Houston. Okay. But, but we don't have a problem, right, Stephen? We've only got questions and answers and, 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 and great insights to pass along. So what's, what's the latest, Stephen, from what people are saying?
2: Yeah, this question is from Jennifer in Calgary, Alberta, and she says, hello, Cynthia, curious about your thoughts on the distinct differences between B2C and B2B sales, and if different skill sets are required for those salespeople.
1: Jennifer, that's an excellent question. I think there are more similarities than there are differences, because even though you're selling B2B, you're still selling to one person. The company doesn't buy your product or service. The person, the decision maker is an actual human being. So when you take the time to know them with granularity and specificity, two of my favorite words, you can get into their motives, their goals, their dreams, their possible objections to the sale, their role in the purchase process. I would create an avatar or an ideal customer persona of both a B2C customer and a B2B contact within that company, because then you can create the messaging that makes them return your call, that makes them respond to you on LinkedIn and reply to your email. You've got to get to know them. So B2B and B2C, I think there are more similarities than differences.
0: You know, and that begs a question too, are there some sales tactics and approaches? And I remember you had mentioned Brian Tracy and And I know uh, Zig Ziglar and and Tom Hopkins had had great material out, uh, you know, two, three decades ago, but are, are there some approaches, Cynthia, that are quite frankly outdated now in the 21st century?
1: I would say when you talk to a prospect, think about switching seats with them. And if you have a sales process that is going to bully them or try to lead them into, a, into, into where you want them to go, I would ask you to rethink that. Let's change the mindset from going out and attacking our prospects to actually attracting them. How can we be something or someone so valuable that we attract our ideal prospect and make them say, I want to know more about you and I want to know more about your product or service?
0: That's a long way from that uh, scene in Glengarry Gary, Glen Ross, isn't yes, it? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Coffee
0: yes. is for closers. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Is there a, you know, that was a, a, a movie description of what sales, I think, might've looked like uh, in a lot of organizations in the, mm-hmm. t- in the 20th century. What are the, what are the avatars of what it should be like now?
1: In an ideal world we focus on empathy we focus on relationship building we focus on those soft skills because we are human beings first and foremost and in this covid era even though we're on the we'd like to think that we're on the tail end of it but what happens if we're not one thing that has rang true the entire time that we've been in covid is that people want to be connected we're all connected technically And tethered by our phones. We are accessible in a moment's notice. But even though we are connected, we've never been more disconnected. So when you're talking to your prospects, show a little empathy. Ask, how are you doing? And mean it. How are you really doing? Because I know, for example, women in sales, they are employees, their leaders, their spouses, their mothers, their teachers, their Extracurricular activity organizers, they've got a lot on their plate. So if you treat people the way you want to be treated, ask them how they're doing, be empathetic to the fact that they may have a lot going on and develop a relationship. Too many times we're focused on the ROI, the return on the investment. What if we changed the mindset and said, instead of ROI, let's look at the return on the relationship and put that first and foremost.
0: Yeah, I can feel, feel the depth of that is, you know, we talked earlier about, um, the issue of unwanted attention. We talked about how things are changing and evolving in, 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 the profession of, of sales leadership, Cynthia, when you think of all the people who are watching and listening right now, what is the number one question that sales professionals need to be asking today?
1: I would like for them to look at themselves in the mirror and say, before I enter into this room, enter into this Zoom conversation, how do I want to show up? Do I want to show up confidently? Do I want to show up as a know-it-all? Do I want to show up as the authority? But ask themselves, how do I want to show up? Because if, if you show up as your best, true, authentic self, people feel that. When you preface your conversations and preface your your events with how do I want to show up, you naturally start to create the person that you want to be so that you can show up as your best self in those crucial moments where influence matters most.
0: You've got this great word that we found in our online research, bounce back ability. (laughs) It's like you invented a word, Cynthia, (laughs) but I wanna hear two things if I could, uh, and our listeners and viewers, define bounce back ability, and what was the story behind it?
1: So many, so many. I think that when we become resilient, it's because we have faced adversity, and I have faced a lot of adversity. I've been homeless. I've been so broke all I could afford was tuna and ramen on a good day. I have had vehicle a vehicle that 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 wasn't mine repossessed by the bank. And I went home and I and I, and I cried. And I cried and I cried and my dad said to me, remember when I sat you down when you were 6 years old and I said there are three types of people in the world, those who make things happen, those who wait for things to happen and those who wonder what the hell happened. He said by you crying right now, what type of person are you? Are you making things happen? Are you waiting for things to happen? Or are you wondering what the heck happened? And I decided right then and there that even though my circumstances may not be ideal, I was not going to let them define who I was and the the mark that I could leave on the world. So that bounce back ability is resilience it's the ability to as les brown says you may fall down but at least if you fall down land on your back because if you can look up you can get up
0: you know as i'm listening to that i can't help but it just it's funny how you tell that story about the tuna and and ramen and and, and the vehicle and my mind goes to will smith's movie the pursuit of happiness is that yes i can't help but ask uh you must see a movie like that very differently than a lot of people
1: I can relate I can I can relate to his scenes of washing up in the bathroom and although I never had to do that, I can relate and that that feeling of oh my gosh this is the lowest I've ever been when I had to surrender my pets because I didn't have a home to provide for them when I had to surrender them to the humane society that was probably the lowest point that I have ever experienced because I thought, Cynthia, you had one job and that was to take care of your beloved pets. And here you are unable to take care of them because of the choices that you've made. They didn't sign up for this. And Mm -hmm. so as I surrendered them, I said to that in that moment, this is the last time I will ever be in this situation. This is the last time I will ever make choices that make me cry. That break my heart. Um, I, I'm i going to s-
0: go out on a limb and say there's some choices that have made you cry, maybe tears of joy. Uh, yes. The Wall Street Journal is quoting you. Uh, is there a professional accomplishment that still to this day just makes you shake your head and, 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 and maybe get a little emotional over what you have accomplished uh, and the many mountains you've conquered along the way?
1: The professional accolades are amazing, and I am grateful for each and every one of them. But one day I was on a keynote. I was performing a keynote, delivering a keynote, and I looked down in the chat box and my niece, Elizabeth, had popped into the chat box and she said, hi, auntie, I love you and I'm proud of you. That right there is my greatest accomplishment, knowing that I am creating a world where she doesn't have to struggle like I do. I'm creating a world and paving a path so that it's easier for her to reach the top 1%.
0: Cynthia, you are a LinkedIn top voice for 2021. I and thousands of others would love to know what's involved in that. How did you make that happen?
1: It was totally by surprise. Um, I set the goal last year that I wanted to become a LinkedIn top voice, and I knew that it was going to take a different approach. You can Google all night and day, how do you become a top voice? How do you become an influencer? How do you outsmart LinkedIn's algorithm? One thing I learned for sure is that when you show up authentically on LinkedIn and you show up daily you don't have to worry about the algorithm. No. When you show up authentically, you attract your tribe. You attract those people who are going to in, engage with your content, and you get noticed because you start to get more followers. When you post daily, let's say for example today and for the next thirty next year, I post one time a week and I get a thousand views. That's fifty two thousand views in a year. Gare, if you post. 365 days and get a thousand views over the same period of time, one year, you will have 365,000 views compared to my 52,000 views. It's simply numbers. The more you post, the more chances you have for views, but you've got to remember to post authentically and attract your target market. What do they need to know about? That is what I did and LinkedIn noticed. Mm
0: I love that because I've been saying for years, Cynthia, that LinkedIn is the sleeping giant of all the social media platforms, especially from a B2B example, simply because nobody or very few, a very small percentage are actually doing what you've just described.
1: Yes. Only 1% of LinkedIn users post content. There are experts out there who say, get more followers, get more followers. But if you're in B2B or B2C sales, you can have 5 million followers, but if no one's buying anything, then what does it matter? So don't focus on the number of followers, focus on providing content that gets you inbox requests for your time and your attention and your products and services. That's the only thing that matters. Those inbox messages, inbox requests.
0: I, I
1: got, I get, I'm going to do a quick shout out,
0: Cynthia Barnes. You've got to look her up online. She's a uh, very much in demand, a uh, thought leader, top of a part of the top 1% LinkedIn, uh keynote speaker, but now Cynthia, we're going to get real up close and personal. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. We're going to play a little bit of a game. Um, okay. Oh, oh yeah. It, it's, it's, Uh, next question. Go with your first response. Next question. Okay. Okay. One-on-one dinner date with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Barack Obama. Money's no object, nor time. Where would you travel? Mauritius. What books are you reading right now?
1: Ah, Financial Statements for Non-Financial Managers, Grit by Angela Duckworth, and a novel by Dana J. Leone.
0: You can pick any actress to play you in your film biopic. Who are you selecting?
1: Oh, Jennifer Hudson.
0: What room in your house resonates with you the most?
1: My family room.
0: And now we move to a standard... Uh, that we uh, have, have implemented from day one of the leadership standard. It's the Lipton-Pivo survey. Okay. In honor of inside the actor studio host, James Lipton and French journalist, Bernard Pivo. Are okay. you in fact ready? Cynthia? I am
1: ready. I am ready. You're ready? ready? Here yes. we go.
0: What is your favorite word? Win. What is your least favorite word? Failure. What turns you on? Success. What turns you off? Mediocrity. What sound or noise do you love?
1: Ah, the sound of my niece laughing.
0: What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Oh. That little beep that the uh, smoke alarm makes when the battery is low. Oh, can't stand that either.
0: What is your favorite curse word?
1: I can't even say it.
0: (laughs) What profession? other than your own,
1: would you like to attempt? I'd like to be a psychologist.
0: What profession under no circumstances would you ever, ever do? Doctor. If heaven exists, what do you hope the good Lord says when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Well done, Cynthia.
0: Cynthia, it's been a pleasure to have you here. I want to, uh, uh, commend you on, on all of your accomplishments and, and for what you're doing to really advance uh, the cause of sales professionals. If there's a number one, you talk about the top 1%, what is the number one daily habit that you think has played a large role in your success?
1: I list five gratitudes every single day, five things that I am grateful for.
0: So today, for example, what, what would they have been?
1: I wrote down that I was grateful for my health, prosperity, my family, for being able to spend Christmas with my family, and for my puppy, Sheba.
0: Do you have a personal creed or motto, maybe three to seven or eight words that you actually swear and live by?
1: Yes. It's not always easy being me. And sometimes that imposter syndrome will come and the inner critic will come and sit on my shoulder, both of them on either, either side and say, you're to this, you're not enough this. And they will, that, that voice always comes in my head. When I start to feel like I'm not enough. My mantra is I am worthy. I am enough without even trying. Oh, I like that. I am enough without even trying.
0: Very well said. Cynthia, where can our viewers and listeners connect with you online?
1: Please connect with me on LinkedIn. If you send a connection request, let me know that you heard it on this podcast, that you saw me on LinkedIn live and personalize it, please. I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn.
0: That's fantastic. Well, again, we thank uh, Cynthia Barnes so much for uh, joining us today. And if you want to know more about Tech Canada and uh, its world-class programs, check out the website, www.tech-canada.com. What was it uh, that Cynthia spoke of uh, that made you stop and think? What were your biggest takeaways? Uh, I, I love what Cynthia said about, Um, being enough and and also uh, the daily habit of starting with gratitude. But what was yours? Feel free. You can email me personally, uh, gair, G-A-I-R at gairmaxwell.com. And if you enjoyed the Leadership Standard here with Cynthia Barnes, uh, feel free to share with others in your uh, online social networks and circles. So don't forget, like, subscribe, share, do all the things that we need you to do. Uh, And again, uh, it's all about helping maybe someone else uh, grab the clutch and go full throttle in this new frontier. So on behalf of uh, Steven Christofferson, Alex, Kat, Mark, everyone at Tech Canada, I'm Gare Maxwell. Thank you so much for joining us here for the Leadership Standard.